All right, well, good morning, Door of Hope, and good morning to anyone watching online and uh, the people live here. Uh, no doubt you would have heard of, of this brand, Thank You. Hopefully you've heard of it anyway. That's an Australian brand that their primary focus is to raise funds for international aid projects. They've literally raised millions of dollars for people all over the world. A few years ago, they were struggling to get our biggest supermarkets to take notice of their brand, Thank You Water, which is uh, designed to raise money for drinking water projects internationally. Uh, you may not know, but trying to get your product into Coles and Woolworths is extremely difficult. It can take months and years of back and forth in trying to get them in. So, the guys behind Thank You chose to utilise their social media army. They mobilised their army and they asked them to bombard the Facebook pages of uh, Coles and Woolworths with messages, with videos, with photos, saying that if you guys stock the products, then we'll buy it. They went to the extra length on the day that the guys from Coles and Woolworths were going to make the decision whether they would stock this product or not, they hired a helicopter to fly a 30-metre by 30-metre banner outside the headquarters of each of these supermarkets just to show them how keen they were. They received literally thousands and thousands of messages on their Facebook pages telling people, or telling them that we're going to buy it if you have it. And the result, of course, was that Coles and Woolworths decided to stock this water in a record time. Never happened that quick before for a new product. Pretty cool. I like that story. It's very nice water too, by the way. I might have some. <laughs> Who said just water? All right. So the guys behind Thank You have a dream, and that dream is to use their products and the profits from their products to help thousands of people around the world. And in order to achieve that dream, they had to be brave. They had to be bold and they had to be shamelessly audacious. So what has thank you got to do with the parable that I'm speaking on this morning? Well, the parable that I'm talking about is uh, the parable of the friend at midnight. And the title of my sermon is Why It's Okay to Be Shamelessly Audacious with God. We're going to be unpacking the parable a little bit, but we thought... I thought I'd better read it to you first. So just for a bit of context, this parable comes immediately after Jesus has just taught the Lord's Prayer to his disciples, the Our Father, as we call it at my work. And it goes like this. So let's have a little read of the parable. It's in Luke 11, verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need." So this friend arrives at midnight to this person's house. Now, back in these days, this was not an unlikely scenario. It was hot in this area, so sometimes people would travel at night where it was a little bit cooler. 
Now, they had no mobile phones, so they couldn't ring ahead. So it was not unlikely that a traveller would arrive at your house completely unannounced, potentially in the middle of the night. I think, though, what Jesus is really doing is providing a bit of a context for us, a context of somebody arriving at a pretty inconvenient time, in this case, midnight. Now, a big part of the culture of the day for Jesus at that time was to be hospitable. It was a really big deal to treat your guests well. Now, there was no refrigeration. They usually just baked enough bread or food for the day. They didn't have a well-stocked pantry, potentially. So it could have been quite likely that you would have no food to give someone when they arrived at your house. Not so much for us today. If you arrive at my house in the middle of the night, I'm going to have a fridge full and a pantry full of food to give you. I mean, you'd have to get over my six-foot-high brick fence and electric (laughs) gates, but if you get in, I'm going to be able to give you something to eat. But this guy couldn't do it. Okay? He had nothing, and he was faced with a bit of a dilemma. He couldn't really leave his guest to have nothing to eat till the morning. It was a pretty big deal for these people to treat their guests well. Uh, he would be being a bad host. You would be going against the culture of the day where you were generally supposed to help people out when you can. Uh, there's a really cool passage in Genesis 18 that illustrates this culture of hospitality. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the, near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing by. When he saw them, he hurried from, to the, from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then, so you may all wash your feet and rest under this, excuse me, under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sayars of the finest flour and knead it to bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood under a tree. It's a pretty cool example of how to be a pretty impressive host. He didn't just make them a sandwich for lunch. No doubt, they were pretty extraordinary guests. Abraham knew this, but he didn't just settle for the simple things. He bakes bread from the finest flour they had. I looked it up, it was about 16 kilos of flour, potentially. So it's quite a lot of bread for three people. (laughs) Then he kills, butchers, and cooks a whole cow and then he mixes that up with a little, little Miss Muffet-inspired side dish. I've never personally eaten curds, but I'm imagining it's sort of a bit of a gourmet thing back in the day. Now, do we have any farmers in the house today? Maybe dairy, no, probably beef farmers we need. Any? Good. <laughs> this will help. I don't know, how long does it take to butcher a cow? I'm thinking that's a pretty long process. Get one, kill it, chop it up, cook it. This is not quickly whipping something up. That's a lot of effort for some pretty important guests. It's a great example of what a hospitable host would do. There's another example found in Hebrews, one of my favourite verses. 
It says in Hebrews 13, verse 2, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. How cool is that? I'd love to think I've just made a sandwich for an angel and haven't even realised it. It's a pretty compelling reason to be hospitable. But back to the parable, that's just some context for us. So this guy that Jesus is talking about has to make a choice. He could be a bad host, a bad friend to this traveller and say, look, we'll, we'll sort it in the morning. Or maybe he could just be a bad neighbour. He chooses the neighbour and he goes and knocks on the door of his neighbour. And then he gets a no. The neighbour has a few excuses for him, you know, when we're inside, the door's locked, can't get up, that sort of thing. Now, we know that these neighbours are friends. Jesus said they're friends, these neighbours. And he knows, the one inside, that if he doesn't get up, his friend's going to be embarrassed because he's not going to be able to provide for his unexpected guest. But if he gets up, it could wake the kids, we've heard. Possibly have to unlock the door, it's noisy. There would have probably been animals in the foyer. It would have been a bit of a disturbance. So he has to make a decision as well. Does he reject this friend in need or does he grant his request? Now, I want you to imagine... Imagine one of your friends, one of your really good friends. Picture them in your mind. If they came to you with a need in the middle of the night, would you reject them or would you grant their request? Maybe a slightly inconvenient request, but would you grant it? I think most of us would do it. If it was the middle of the night, we'd get up and help our friend. That's what good friends do. In fact, I've got a little test for you to try. I want you to think of that friend you thought of a second ago. Sometime this week... Go out at midnight, <laughs> bang on their door and ask for three loaves of bread. If they don't answer immediately, that's okay. Keep banging, just keep banging. Eventually, they'll hopefully answer. If they say no, they're not a good friend, okay? They'll look after you. So this neighbour inside, in the house, has to make a decision. What am I going to do here? Am I going to grant this request? Am I going to stay in bed? If the guy knocks quietly and disappears, problem solved. Excuse me, can I have some bread? No. <laughs> Off he goes. No problem. But this guy does not give up easily. He's shamelessly audacious, remember. In verse 8, we read sort of the key to this first bit of the parable. It says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship... Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Shameless audacity, that NIV version says. In the New King James Version, they use the word persistence. In the King James Version, they use the word importunity, which is not a word we use a lot, importunity. So I looked it up. And the Oxford Dictionary defines importunity as persistence, especially to the point of annoyance. <laughs> now, that's not a word we would use a lot in association with prayer. Persistence to the point of annoyance. So this neighbour doesn't grant his request, his friend in need's request, because he likes the guy, because he's his good neighbour. He grants it because of his shameless audacity, his persistence, his importunity. That's how he gets what he gets. 
for having the guts to ask and not taking no for an answer. Jesus uses the word even though back in verse 8. He's saying that being a good friend would normally be enough to get you what you want. That's what friends do. They help each other when they're in need. But even in times when a friend might not be able to help you out, because of your shameless audacity, your importunity, your request will be answered. So what is Jesus hinting at here? Now, verse 9, we get an application for the parable. He says, So I say to you, ask and you will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We've got three key verbs there. Ask, seek, knock. That's what this man in the parable is doing. He keeps asking, he keeps seeking, he keeps knocking until his needs are met. Not his wants, mind you, his needs. And that's a key distinction. This guy is willing to go the extra mile to get what he needs. He's willing to get outside. He's willing to wander the neighbourhood. He's willing to bash down his neighbour's door to get what he needs. He literally is shamelessly audacious, as we read. So what is Jesus trying to teach us through this parable? As we saw, this parable comes immediately after the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, is teaching them the what to pray in the Lord's Prayer, an example of what to pray. And this parable, coming straight after it, teaches us the how to do it, the how to apply his teaching in our lives. Jesus is inviting us to be shamelessly audacious in our prayer life. I don't know if you've ever been like me, or are like me, I should say. Sometimes you think, yeah, things are going all right, you know, maybe a bit of a sniffle, going camping on the weekend, maybe it'd be nice if it was a sunny day, didn't rain too much. You know, but overall, doing pretty good. I don't think I'm going to bother God today. He's probably not going to be really interested in my things. He's got a bit on his mind, you know. We've got wars, we've got droughts, we've got Donald Trump, that sort of stuff. (laughs) You know, sometimes maybe our stuff's not important. God wouldn't have time to that. Well, this parable is the antithesis of that thinking. Jesus himself is saying that God does not mind a midnight wake-up call from his friends. He encourages it, in fact. He's inviting our shameless audacity to speak to Jesus through this parable. Now, whether that means you're shamelessly audacious enough to ask for a car parking spot near the entrance, like my wife does, (laughs) whether you're going to just ask for something totally bonkers, something beyond the realm of human kind of reasoning, God doesn't mind. He doesn't care what it is. He just wants to know that we care. And he honours that. And then he says in this parable that he'll reward that audacity. He'll reward our shameless audacity because that's the kind of God he is. He wants to interact with us. He's the God who cares about things because we care about things. Now I'm going to speak to the parents here. Do your kids ever get interested in things that you just find totally boring? (laughs) Maybe the latest video game... My son got right into Pokemon cards. He knew all the names. He would tell me about Charizard and all this sort of stuff. I found it totally boring. I did not care in the slightest about Pokemon. And I did not want to know about Pokemon. I have enough things in my head without knowing that. 
But God is nothing like us, thankfully. He is 100% interested in everything we have to say. It doesn't matter. He will listen to it. He craves connection with his children. That's what he's about. In Revelation 3, verse 20, we read, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is saying here, he wants that personal connection with us. He wants that intimacy you get as a family when you sit down together and share a meal. That's what Jesus is about, this relationship with us. It's the kind of relationship he created us for. What God wants to know is, do your prayers mean enough to you? Are you serious enough about this thing to get outside, walk across the street, and bang on the door in the middle of the night? Are you so sold out on these things? God literally is a door of hope. He's a door of hope for us, and he wants us to bash it down with our shameless audacity. Are you hearing me, door of hope? Good. He's literally asking us to do it. Jesus wants us to change our thinking on God. He's not a distant God. He's not a God with too many things to deal with. You can't burden God with your problems. You can't overwhelm him with your prayers. He is the great unburdener. Matthew 11, we read this. It says in verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He loves hearing from us. He desires hearing from us. Back in verse 9, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. He doesn't say it might, possibly, maybe. He says will. Now, I don't know if you're a bit like me, but I hear that, and I'm thinking, cha-ching. <laughs> he says he's going to do it. I'd love a bar crusher boat. I would love one of those, okay? I would love a faster car. I would love a bigger house. But God isn't Santa Claus, of course. He's not a magic fairy. We don't present our list of stuff, and he honours that. This parable is about being shamelessly audacious in our prayer life, but with a will aligned to God's will. This parable is certainly about being shamelessly audacious in our prayer life, talking to God, but with a will aligned with God's will. God always responds to prayer according to his will. Uh, in John, 1 John 5, verse 14, 15, it says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Again, a pretty clear promise. God will answer our prayers. And Jesus is simply asking in this passage for us to have the shameless audacity to ask him. So what is God's will, I hear you asking? Is it for us to have a bar crusher boat? Is it for us to have a nice house? Dare I say, is it for us to be perfectly healthy and live happily ever after? Let's have a look at what some of the verses in the Bible say about it. 
In 1 Timothy 2, uh, verses 1 to 4, it says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And then in Thessalonians, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then again in 1 Peter 2, it says, For it is God's will but that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now, there are a lot of verses on the will of God, and I don't have time to unpack them all. There's a month of sermons there. But basically, when you read them, it's all about not what you have. And it's all about what you do, the kind of person you are, who you are on the inside. Are you spreading the news of Jesus Christ to others? Are you thankful for the things you have instead of constantly seeking more? Are you looking after those in need, the poor, the widows, the lonely? That's what God's will is for your life. And as you discover further, God's will for your life, your prayer starts to move from the things that you desire to the things God desires, from the things that move my heart to the things that move his heart, from the me to the he. Then Jesus finishes this parable by taking things from the sublime to the ridiculous. He says in verses uh, 11 to 13, which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In that final sentence, Jesus is expressing how much God wants to bless his children. God certainly can look after boats and cars and houses, if that's what his will is for you. But he loves you so much that he wants to give you the ultimate gift, the Holy Spirit to dwell within each one of us. In essence, God's going to give you a very piece of himself. He can't give much more than that. As a free gift to show his commitment to us, his love, And that verse points out how our relationship with God is supposed to work. God promises each of us the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit guiding us, our prayer life shifts to the things that mean much to him. When we connect with the Holy Spirit, our heart moves to the things that move God's heart. To be connected to God in a family-style connection to be caring for those in need, to spread the good news, to be thankful. Those are the things that God cares about. So, Door of Hope, I want to finish with a challenge for us today. I want you to consider your prayer life. It's our number one key value at Door of Hope, powerful prayer. Are you like me and sometimes a bit reluctant to burden God with your insignificant needs? Or... Are you going to take Jesus at his word from our parable today? Are you going to pluck up some shameless audacity, some importunity 
and see what God really has in store for you. Paul nails it in his letter to Thessalonica. He says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you don't mind us waking you up at midnight, that you don't mind us bashing down your door with something that's on our heart. And we thank you, God, that you promise that you listen to those prayers and you answer those prayers. So, God, I ask that you touch each one of us here today, that that Holy Spirit in our heart is woken up and that we align our prayers with your will, God. We thank you that you promise that you will listen and we ask that we have that faith, that shameless audacity to ask. Amen.